Hello and welcome back to Band Biographies with me, Tom Austin Morgan, your host, to let you know what's been going on since the last episode and what you can expect from the next one. Band Biographies is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network of music-based podcasts. Be sure to visit pantheon.com to find a whole host of different types of show on all sorts of music. It's an honour to be placed amongst such brilliant shows. It's not been all that long since I published the first part of the Madness documentary, but despite that I've been receiving some great feedback from people about it, so thank you very much for getting in touch and telling me what you think about it. I'm really glad that you guys think it was worth the wait. I've also started to get the clips from the episodes featured on Leo Ulf's BBC radio show that now goes out to about four counties in the southeast, not just Kent, which is great. I really value his support. Now, there's not a lot to report from my end this month, other than I've been busy putting the finishing touches on my new office and playing gigs with High Frequency and Swamp Stomper virtually every weekend. But summer's over now, and both bands are going to sleep for a bit, although High Frequency will still be gigging, as well as hopefully getting stuck into recording and finessing our album, which I hope will be out by the end of this year, or early next year. So now, on to the news. Hello Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. The day after the last Between Main Show episode went out, the other three members of Anti-Flag, Pat Thetic, Chris Head and Chris Number 2, published a statement via Rolling Stone magazine thanking the women who have come forward with their stories for coming forward, and claimed that they've been deceived and condemned their former bandmate Justin Sane Giver. The statement in full read, in the light of the recent article in Rolling Stone magazine, to Christina, Jen, Molly, Rebecca, Suzanne, Matt, 
Susie, Stephanie, Karina, Ella, Elizabeth, Hannah and Tally. We would like to say thank you for your courage in sharing the pain you have experienced. And to others who may yet come forward, while you don't owe anyone your story, please know that you are not alone and that we believe you. To Justin, we believe you are very sick and in need of serious professional help. We want to have compassion and have faith in restorative justice, but fuck you for hurting so many people, not just the ones who have bravely come forward, but anyone still carrying their pain internally. Fuck you for exploiting the work of the band and the many people associated with it for so long. As many predators do, it appears you used our beliefs as a cover for egregious activities that you clearly knew we could never condone. To everyone, we collectively and individually still have far more questions than answers in this moment. We have been learning of and processing all of this information in real time. We trusted Justin greatly and are now learning that we were deceived, lied to and kept in the dark for the entirety of our association. For Chris Barker, personally, Justin knew his history with trauma. His father had been convicted of sexual abuse of children and is currently incarcerated. His sister was a victim of abuse and Chris himself was sexually abused by an older child in their neighbourhood. We share this to demonstrate that Justin was acutely aware of the visceral reaction we would have to such destructive behaviour, but also because sharing a stage for so long with someone you later learn is an accused predator has been incredibly painful to process and come to terms with. Two things can be true, a person can be kind and selfless in one space and a monster in another. Around 10.30pm on July 18th, we were alerted that a podcast would be released the next morning detailing a sexual assault involving Justin. We forwarded a message to him that previewed the episode and contained a photo and name. Justin responded that he did not know this person. The next morning, when the three of us heard Christina's story, it became apparent to us that he was lying. To be true to the values we embraced for decades, we quit the band immediately and without hesitation. The three of us removed the band's internet presence in an attempt to limit spaces for people to attack, antagonise or harm Christina as we tried to get a grasp on this shocking information. As more details have been shared since the release of the podcast, we've been waiting for Justin to do the right thing. Given his lack of contrition in any meaningful way, it's very clear that he is absolutely not the person we were led to believe him to be. We are unsure where our path will lead us. Right now, words feel hollow and no statement can alleviate the suffering that has been caused. We have a great deal to learn ourselves, with much soul searching and introspection ahead. There will have to be a lot of therapy and devotion of time and resources to places that are equipped to help with these kinds of traumas. The three of us are still in shock and grieving, but mostly our hearts are broken for every victim. We are deeply saddened by every one of your painful stories and will forever be grateful for your courage in sharing them. Love, healing and justice to all survivors, Pat, Chris and Chris. It still baffles me that it's taken them this long to release a statement, distancing themselves from Justin, but I suppose at least they've said something. As well as embarking on what the band called their last tour, despite the protestation of the band's mascot Bougie Boy, Devo have announced that they will also be releasing a box set to commemorate their 50th anniversary. 
It's called 50 Years of Devolution 1973 to 2023 and features 50 songs including deep cuts and rarities along with the hits. The box set is available over four vinyl records or two CDs and the deluxe edition comes with a 28 page book, a red energy dome paper hat and an air freshener. A remastered version of the song Disco Dancer has also been released. In a statement released along with the announcement, Mark Mothersbaugh said, This box set represents a great cross-section of early experiments and later creations. I was looking to create a new sound, a concept in art, and music that represented a new way of thinking about life on planet Earth. With Devo, I think we did just that. Farewell to the first 50, let's get the next 50 started. Russian activist punk group Pussy Riot have announced North American tour dates in November and December beginning at the Rialto Theatre in Montreal on the 1st of November and finishing up at Warsaw in Brooklyn, New York. For this tour the band is made up of Diana Burkot, Maria Alakina, Olga Borisova and Alina Petrova. Nadia Tolokonikova, the face of the group, released a statement on Instagram about her involvement in the tour which reads, For transparency, so no one of you rioters is surprised, I'm not a part of the Riot Days tour. It's a theatrical show about our punk prayer story based on Masha's prison memoir. I spend quiet work days in my geo-anonymous art studio, focusing on creating a new body of conceptual political artwork for the exhibitions in 2023 to 2025. I play shows and appear in public extremely rarely, but loudly. Supporting Pussy Riot on the tour are Lisa Ann, Sloppy Jane, Pink Shift, Thick and Death Valley Girls. Pussy Riot will also be playing a New Year's Eve show with the Dwarves at the Kilowatt in San Francisco. Bad Religion and the Dwarves are playing four shows in October starting on the 10th at the Union in Salt Lake City, Utah, the Mission Ballroom in Denver, Colorado on the 12th, the Astro Indoor Theatre in La Vista, Nevada on the 13th, and the factory in Chesterfield, Missouri on the 14th. The band Speed of Light will open on all dates. Dwarves also have four of their own shows with Direct Hit in November. The bands will be playing The Craft House in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on the 8th, Ace of Cups Bar in Columbus, Ohio on the 9th, The Melody Inn in Indianapolis, Indiana on the 10th, and Reggie's Live in Chicago, Illinois on the 12th. According to Harley Flanagan, lead singer and bassist of New York hardcore band Cro-Mags, he was attacked before the band's show at Cafe 611 in Frederick, Maryland on the 12th of September. Flanagan says that people claiming to be from a zine called Destroy Magazine requested three passes to the show. They then came to the merch table where Flanagan was before the gig wearing ski masks and accused him of sexual harassment. Then, Flanagan says, the three people pulled out clubs, knives, mace, some kind of stun gun and a suture kit and both slashed and sprayed him. Flanagan posted pictures of the wounds on social media and is pressing charges. Despite the attack, Flanagan and the rest of Cro-Mags played their full set. The band posted on social media that, one of the masked kids sprayed mace at Harley and his son and everyone around them was sprayed at the same time. All of this happened before the band played in a room packed with people and several young kids. Destroy Magazine will now write whatever they want in their magazine about this and make their false accusations. 
we are sad that we were stupid enough to give them three free passes to an otherwise great show. We are sad that for attention and readers and to push whatever their ski mask wearing agenda is, they need to use the name of a band with some notoriety. We are sad that this is the time we live in and anyone can say whatever they want to get attention for whatever they're promoting. We apologise to the people who came to hear us play, to hear the opening band's DRI. And we appreciate your support. We all live in this social media cesspool now where anyone can say anything for attention, but we know what happened, as do dozens of witnesses, the cameras from inside the venue, and so do the police. Thank you again for all the love and support, see you tonight. Flanagan himself added, I'm just glad that I got cut and not my son. That could have been my son's neck or face. Anybody who saw anything, please step forward. This incident took place before we even got on stage, and there were children in the room who could have been injured. Destroy Zine later identified themselves as the Zine in question, and said they did not provoke the fight. Destroy Zine posted an extended version of their account on Instagram that reads, The Cro-Mags offered us press passes over Instagram Messenger to come document their show at Cafe 611 in Frederick, Maryland. We happily said yes as we were fans of their band. We went with the possibility of an interview with Harley Flanagan of the Cro-Mags, and we were very excited to meet them at first. We arrived at the show and went to the vending area. Merch is completely set up and ready to go. People start to come and check out what we have and asking us about prices for things. As a kid is purchasing a patch from our table, Harley Flanagan of the Cro-Mags walks up to us and started asking us about the art on our magazine cover. He then slapped our female editor's thigh multiple times and said to her, yeah, you better close those legs, little girl, you're sucking me in. She exclaimed anxiously that she's on the back cover of the magazine, hoping to deflect the attention to something else, in which Harley replies, damn right you are, I'll see you later tonight. Then he proceeded to say our magazine looks great and asked us to reserve him a copy as he wants to see what we're up to. We felt let down. Disappointed that someone who is looked up to by so many people just felt welcome and openly say that in front of us, let alone touch a young girl. Harley's nephew, or son as he says, then comes over to her and apologised for Harley's actions. We didn't interact with the band or any of their crew after that besides to give Harley a silver sharpie. He had started yelling at us about the sharpie and we gave it to him in hopes he would leave us alone. Throughout hanging out at the show, Harley would stare at our photographer editor on multiple occasions, walking by and or just standing at the door across from our table. When we spotted Harley, they would look away and try to avoid contact. After a while, Deathwish, the third band to play before Cro-Mags, was up, and we listened for a bit. We were hanging in the merch room just chatting, and went to go check out DRI's merch table, which was off to the right, a door's length away from us. Our photographer editor watched the table alone. We were talking back and forth, checking out the shirt rack at the DRI table when we started to hear our editor photographer confront Harley as he was staring at her, talking to his crew and gesturing towards her in the doorway. This was obvious as each time she would move out of Harley's sight, he would then move in sight of her. This happened a few times before initially calling him out. We quickly left the DRI table to de-escalate the situation. His nephew started threatening violence as we said, please walk away, we just want peace. We begged for peace multiple times. They were made well aware of their sexual assault at the start of the show, and Harley exclaimed something to the effect of, maybe your girlfriend shouldn't have put her pussy out and I wouldn't be looking. 
He then proceeds to rip the other editor's mask off, and the editor is then pulled back by members of the crew and swung at a few times. He was initially able to get out of it before more hits could be taken. As that occurred, Harley is in the other editor's face, pointing at him saying, I'm going to break your friend's legs and it's going to be all your fault. The singer of DRI then exclaimed from behind his table, they aren't even a band, which Harley repeated loudly to the whole crowd. He knew we weren't a band, we were there to interview him. After he claimed to give us press passes we never saw or received. He screamed these things all while flipping our merch table full of glass bottles, magazines and all our art, while there were children nearby. It was after that the editor who was being pointed at pepper sprayed Harley in the face so that he couldn't hurt her. He also had to pepper spray Harley's nephew or son, because they began to rush us from all sides. Our editor was swarmed by their merch guy who was supposedly Harley's nephew, and another person, as well as Harley. He was repeatedly beaten and kicked and punched as he fell to the ground, curling into a ball while closing his eyes and covering his face. He was dizzy and delirious. We used pepper spray in self-defence, and our female editor used a taser to protect herself from the assault. Tasers are legal in the state of Maryland for purchase without permit, and are legal for use in self-defence situations. We acted in self-defence within the boundaries of the law. Our female photographer went to save our editor, but she was grabbed by her arm by one person while another man named Don Ramirez grabbed her by the throat. Don Ramirez is a former adjunct faculty at Shepherd University and self-proclaimed former employee of the Frederick Psychiatric Unit. They twisted her arm and said they were going to break it. Harley then jumps on top of her but she kicked him in the groin. He then exclaimed you little bitch while holding himself and then buckling. Eventually we were able to get free and we attempted to escape the assault. Harley then grabs his double-edged dagger from the floor which had been in his pocket and points it at our other female photographer and backs her out the door while saying, get her the fuck out of here. This happened while the other editor watched from the doorway in fear being repeatedly punched by multiple people as the vocalist of DRI blocked him from helping her. After everyone was able to get out of the situation, Harley then takes our bag and starts stealing stuff from inside it. One thing in it being a sewing kit made for sewing band patches. We had come to the show excited for our new patches. This kit also had floss in it which was used for sewing patches. Harley stole the money out of the bag and everything else in it. He was seen by the show promoter's daughter and other people. Afterwards, Harley continued to smash the merchandise on the ground, and when a friend of ours came to pick it up for us, Harley ripped it out of their hands and threw it into the trash outside. We had to flee the scene as we were kicked out and barred by people claiming to be security. One of these men was Don Ramirez, who posted on Facebook later, admitting to his actions. He was not security, and he has been actively bragging about his choices. He also can be quoted from a Facebook post he made that the editor who was beaten to the ground begged him to get me out of here. Since then we have been harassed online by fans of the Cro-Mags and also Don Ramirez. Harley Flanagan has made multiple posts in which he weaves a tale that changes each time. He has been inviting his fans to come up to us online and some fans of Cro-Mags are even threatening to hurt and jump us while sharing the Cro-Mags song Street Justice. They clearly wanted to hurt us, and we wanted to get away and protect ourselves. Since we've escaped, we've done plenty of research on Harley Flanagan, and learnt that he has stabbed multiple people, including his own former band members. We also discovered that he has sexually assaulted girls in the past. 
We even discovered he was a proud Nazi. Had we known of his criminal past, we would not have accepted his fake offering of press passes, which we never saw or received. We feel as though we were cornered by the Cro-Mags who were acting intoxicated and set up to be assaulted. Our female editor was a victim of Harley's unwanted sexual advances, harassment and sexual assault. We acted in self-defence and are shocked, appalled and deeply disappointed by the way the Cro-Mags, their vocalist Harley Flanagan, his nephew or son as he claims, and Don Ramirez assaulted us. We encourage everyone to come forward as witnesses and to share their story. Please keep your friends and family safe at shows in the world. We love you all. Flanagan then stated that the Destroy account was false and that the band is pressing charges. He also addressed the Destroy zine side of the story, saying, The truth doesn't matter anymore. It's all about getting likes, getting clicks, getting views, and in this particular case, selling magazines. But if you're a musician, a comedian, actor, politician, or anyone in the public eye, you're a target. Think about John Lennon and Dimebag. I'm a nobody. I'm not comparing myself to them. I'm just saying any kind of fame or popularity makes you a target for fame seekers and it's fucked up. Everyone who was there and saw what happens knows what happened and the truth will come out, but nobody will care when it does. Thank you to everybody who is not jumping on the bandwagon, everybody who's actually waiting to hear the truth. Thank you to all the people supporting me and my family. A lot of people are coming out and supporting me that I would never expected, and I thank you all. A later statement still by witnesses including the owner of the venue and the support band DRI. The group from the zine came in and set up a table to sell their magazine. Prior to the show in a room filled with people including small children and Harley's son, a man and woman from the magazine approached the Cro-Mags merch table next to theirs and started talking. She shared that she was the model on the back cover. Flanagan, in front of his son, said, Looks cool, I'll pick one up after the show, and walked away. It wasn't long before the woman started yelling that Flanagan had harassed her, at which point his son came to the other side of the merch table with one of the other people from the magazine, who started yelling that Flanagan had assaulted his girlfriend. As Harley's son and the man got physical, the man pulled out a can of mace and sprayed both Flanagan and son directly in their faces and proceeded to spray the room of patrons with mace. The club owner witnessed all of this. Flanagan Jr. and the magazine guys soon hit the ground fighting, and the rest of their crew, including the girl, got involved. When Flanagan came over, the girl jumped on his back and began hitting him with a billy club. He was at that time slashed with a knife through the pants. The girl was physically removed from Flanagan's back by a retired police officer there with his son, who is cooperating with local police. The club owner came to the melee, police showed up, and the magazine group was removed from the premises. Flanagan played the show with a flesh wound and the remnants of mace in his eyes and nose. The band has since received numerous death threats as the magazine has been spreading their story on social media, which began with harassment and has now become assault. Local business owners have since come forward with similar experiences involving the couple from the magazine and are currently cooperating with authorities during the investigation. The FBI may become involved, as threats of violence and death have been received across state lines. Harley's final statement says emphatically, The idea of assaulting a woman is reprehensible to me, and it didn't happen, and it wouldn't happen. Any further comments will come from Mr Flanagan's attorney. I have no idea what to think about this. 
and I like to think that in criminal cases like this, that we should trust the police to do their job. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about this in the coming months though. Again, the Dwarfs have announced a new album called the Dwarfs Concept Album to be released on the 17th of November via Greedy Records. Songs on the album include We Will Dare, Roxette, Voodoo, Terrorist of Love, Parasite and Do It All The Time. Blink-182 have announced that they will be releasing a new album. It's called One More Time and will be out on the 20th of October via Columbia Records. The band has also released an announcement video that features them talking about the reasons for their breakup and clips of new songs. This will be the first album since 2011's Neighbourhoods to feature Mark Hoppus, Tom DeLonge and Travis Barker. Rolling Stone magazine co-founder Jan Venner has been removed from the board of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Foundation, which he also co-founded, after comments he made about women and black musicians in a recent New York Times interview. During the interview, Venner said that his upcoming book doesn't feature any interviews with women or black musicians because he doesn't find them articulate enough when compared to white male musicians. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame responded to these comments on the 16th of September by saying simply, Jan Venner has been removed from the board of directors of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Foundation. After he was removed, Venner then released a statement apologising for his comments which reads, In my interview with the New York Times I made comments that diminished the contributions, genius and impact of black and women artists and I apologise wholeheartedly for those remarks. The Masters is a collection of interviews I've done over the years that seem to me to best represent an idea of rock and roll's impact on my world. They were not meant to represent the whole of music and its diverse and important originators, but to reflect the high points of my career and interviews I felt illustrated the breadth and experience in that career. They don't reflect my appreciation and admiration for myriad totemic world-changing artists whose music and ideas I revere and will celebrate and promote as long as I live. I totally understand the inflammatory nature of badly chosen words and deeply apologise and accept the consequences. Rolling Stone, which Venner left in 2019, also released a statement on Twitter following the comments which reads, Jan Venner's recent statements to the New York Times do not represent the values and practices of today's Rolling Stone. Jan Venner has not been directly involved in our operations since 2019. Our purpose, especially since his departure, has been to tell stories that reflect the diversity of voices and experiences that shape our world. At Rolling Stone's core is the understanding that music above all can bring us together, not divide us. Halford the band fronted by Rob Halford of Judas Priest in the early 2000s is self-re-releasing their second and fourth albums as double LPs, Crucible and Made of Metal. This is the first time these albums have been released on vinyl. They're being distributed by Vision Merch. Each record is limited to 2,000 units total in various colour combinations. And in related news, Rob Halford is also a guest on the upcoming Dolly Parton 4LP album out this autumn. UK punk band The Mefs are going on a tour around the UK in November. It's called the Broken Brains Tour, and Ariel Salad and Noah and the Loners will support. The tour begins at the Voodoo Lounge in Stamford on the 3rd, and will end up at the New Adelphi Club in Hull on the 30th. 
The Sleeping Souls, who you might know as Frank Turner's backing band, have announced that they will be releasing their debut album called Just Before the World Starts Burning, which will be out on the 24th of November via Extra Mile Recordings. More on them later. Laura Jane Grace will be given the key to the city of Gainesville, Florida. She will be presented with the key during a ceremony during Fest Weekend in October, and will also play a solo set at Vivid Music Hall. Her Instagram post in response read, This is ridiculous, was told about this last week. Feel bad because I was asked for a quote and I was completely stumped. Genuinely at a loss for words. What do you say to something like this beyond the obvious of woe and thank you? Hard to feel like you deserve something like this though. If anything, I feel like I'm accepting on behalf of a group of people or a scene circa late 90s, early 2000s. How about I'll just hold the keys for a second? When I was 19 years old, Joe Corter gave me the keys to the Civic Media Center and I'd go there at night and listen to records and work on Xenart. Those keys were a huge responsibility to me. I'll treat these the same. There's someone who really deserves the keys to the city though, Joe Corter. I'm just holding these keys for a second. They actually belong to Joe. And finally, Live Nation has announced that it will be dropping merch cuts at its club-sized venues in the US as part of an initiative called On The Road Again, which they have teamed up with Willie Nelson for. Along with 100% of merch sales going to artists, the program will also offer a $1500 stipend per show to all headlining and support acts to help with fuel and travel costs. Financial bonuses will also be given to local promoters, tour representatives and venue crew members who have worked over 500 hours over the course of this year. It will be rolled out over the next few months at venues including all of the House of Blues and Fillmore locations. This comes after artists such as Jeff Rosenstock began sharing breakdowns of how much in merch cuts they have to pay venues while on tour. In response to this announcement, Laura Jane Grace has launched a petition on moveon.org calling for Live Nation, AEG and all venues and promoters to end merch cuts nationwide for artists and fans. The description for the petition reads in part, This week Live Nation announced it would stop taking merch cuts at some of its venues. While it's a start, there are nearly a hundred Live Nation venues this does not apply to, and many, many more venues nationwide owned and operated by other companies. Every venue and promoter must follow suit. Venues and promoters, often one and the same thing given Live Nation's effective monopoly on the live music industry, do not design, manufacture, ship, transport, load or unload, and in most cases sell an artist's or band's merchandise. Fans are already price gouged by junk fees on ticket sales. Taking a cut of merchandise sales from artists not only drives up the cost of merchandise for fans, it also creates a situation for musicians where making ends meet is even more difficult in an already predatory industry. These cuts have such a negative impact on some artists they are forced to consider leaving the industry altogether because they cannot afford to continue with their careers. The fans come to the venues for the artists, not for the venue owner or promoter. They buy merchandise to support the musicians they love, not because they're fans of a corporation. Their money should go directly and entirely to the artists. I wholeheartedly agree on this, and I do hope that this is not just an initiative 
based in the US and that eventually it comes over to the UK and every other territory in the world where live music exists. And that leads me on to all the singles and albums that have been released this month. Starting with the singles as ever, on the 7th of September Aussie drum and bass legends Pendulum released the single Colourfast. It's a slower than usual track for them, clocking in at 3 minutes and 45 seconds, but winds up in its choruses and drops out before crescendoing in a final chorus for the last 30 seconds. Colourfast contains all the elements I love from this band. On the 8th of September, London pop-punk band Lucky Hit released their first EP under their new name, called Echoes and Ashes, which includes five tracks, Obvious Sucker, Echoes and Ashes, Shoebox Memories, Hungover and Waking Up. It's a very polished, synth-drenched set of songs, some of which have been released previously as singles, and they bring to mind bands like Latterday, Matt Skiba, Blink-182 and Newfound Glory. These three lads should be going places if there's any justice in the world, not just because they're great songwriters and performers, but because they're lovely blokes as well. Go listen now. Art punk and grunge band L7 released a new single this month called Cooler Than Mars on the 13th of September, which appears to be pointed at Elon Musk and his plan to populate Mars, with the lyrics, I've got nothing against Mars, but nothing wants to live on Mars. This is a dancey stomper that sounds like the band had a lot of fun recording, especially vocalist Anita Sparks, who really goes for it in the repeated chorus at the end of the track. On the 15th of September, UK jungle drum and bass dubstep outfit Chase and Status released the single Liquor and Cigarettes featuring rapper RD, which is the first single from the album Too Rough Volume 1, which will be released on the 27th of October. It's a real house party banger, as is most of Chase and Status's output, and it reminds me of many hazy nights in and out in the early 2000s. Ahead of her second album being released on the 13th of October, Holly Humberston has released a fourth song called Into Your Room, which is another typically emo-y synth-pop song containing lyrics like Please don't make me stand out in the pouring rain with a freshly ripped human heart from my ribcage and a boombox. I really like Humberston's particular brand of emo-pop, and perhaps you will too. On the 21st of September, Blink-182 dropped two singles from a new album which will be released on the 20th of October called One More Time. The singles join last year's edging on the tracklist, and the two singles are the title track, One More Time, and More Than You Know. More Than You Know is an incredibly heavy song from the recently reunited Californian three-piece, but it still has the sound of Blink of old, while introducing pummeling double bass kicks from drummer Travis Barker, quiet verses from bassist Mark Hoppus, and shouted choruses from guitarist Tom DeLonge. One More Time is an almost acoustic track, and for me is an absolute highlight of their career. As I've said on this podcast a few times in the past, I wouldn't be into punk rock without Blink-182. And this particular song is so raw, emotional and honest, about three people who regret their past fallouts and why the hell it took Travis surviving a plane crash and Mark surviving cancer to get them back together. Tom said in an interview that this is them saying that this is the last time they're going to fuck this up. 
I wasn't sure about new Blink music in 2023, but this song in particular, plus the fact I came around to liking edging, as well as showcasing a heavier sound on More Than You Know, means I'm now frothing at the mouth for their return later this year. New romantic pioneers Duran Duran are releasing a new album called Dance Macabre on the 27th of October, and it seems to be a Halloween-themed album, including a lot of covers including Billie Eilish's Bury a Friend, The Special's Ghost Town, The Rolling Stones' Paint It Black, Susie and the Banshees' Spellbound, and Talking Heads' Psycho Killer, unless I'm mistaken and they've simply nicked all those titles. Two singles have been released from it so far, the incredibly infectious groove of Black Moonlight, which I really like, but then there's the album's title track, Dance Macabre, which begins with an almost rapt opening verse before a catchy pre-chorus, and then the wheels fall off entirely with a really muddled, what I imagine is a chorus. If only I could hear the lyrics properly and they weren't completely awful. And then the whole formula is repeated again. Ouch. On the 18th of September, Frank Turner's backing band The Sleeping Souls released the song Rivals from their upcoming solo, can a band be a solo act? debut album, just before the world starts burning, which will be released on the 24th of November. Previously, they'd released two other tracks, Caught Up in the Scrape, which sounds like one of the heavier feeder songs, and Lie a Lover, a more acoustic and laid-back song. Rivals, however, is a snarling, aggressive punk song about sibling rivalry in a family that's breaking up, and how those closest to you can be the most harmful. On the 20th of September, Nottingham punk rapper's Sleaford Mods released the first song off a six-track EP called More UK Grim, which will be out on the 20th of October. The song is called Big Farmer, which is a pretty typical mix of minimalist electronic backing over which Jason Williams spews his social commentary and Tory-bashing lyrics. I assume the tracks, one of which is a remix of another song on the EP, were made for the previously released UK Grim album, but weren't strong enough to be included on the track listing. But we'll find out when it's released, I guess. Friend of the show and former guest Laurie Black is releasing her second album on the 13th of October called Angst Music. Ahead of that, she's released two singles this month, the previously released Space Junk, about the futility of the new space race between business owners like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, and Content Warning, about the pressure on artists like her that feel they constantly need to put out content and the effect that has on her mental health, which we kind of touched upon in the interview earlier this year. Laurie is a great person and makes some really witty industrial music. Check her out if you haven't already. On the 26th of September, Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes dropped the first single from their upcoming album, Dark Rainbow, which will be released on the 26th of January 2024. The single is called Man of the Hour, and is a much softer ballad-style song, more in line with Frank's work with his previous project, Pure Love. It's about the experiences people have when they meet him, and what they expect from the rock star, porn star, Man of the Hour. I love the heavy stuff he and the band produce, but I also love the fact that they can play more sensitive, introspective stuff like this. On the 27th of September, outgoing Canadian pop-punk band Sum 41 released a standalone single called Landmines, and it's fine, pretty middle of the road overall, but the chorus is catchy as hell. 
They're currently on a final world tour before they break up after 27 years of playing together. They've never been one of my favourite bands, but they were amongst the first punk bands I got into, and I've got to say, if you want to see a band really rip it up live, watch their Hellfest set on YouTube, it's well worth it. The Streets have released a second song from their upcoming album, The Darker the Shadow, The Brighter the Light, which will be out in a couple of weeks. This single is called Each Day Gives, and is a really upbeat number about finding the positivity in every day. Madness have announced that they will be releasing their first album in seven years on the 17th of November. It's going to be called Theatre of the Absurd Presents Say La Vie. On the 28th of September, Madness dropped three tracks from the album. If I Go Mad, Say La Vie, and What On Earth Is It, brackets, You Take Me For which all feature social commentary hidden behind their trademark horn-driven pop-rock sound. The band says that Cella V is the perfect antidote to the chaos of the past few years, and there's certainly a fair amount of cynicism and poison in the lyrics and delivery of these three songs. I'm really looking forward to the album coming out in six weeks' time or so, and it just so happens to coincide with my Madness episodes, which is complete coincidence, believe me. Also on the 29th, the Rolling Stones released a second single from their upcoming album Hackney Diamonds called Sweet Sounds of Heaven. They've augmented this spiritual sequel to You Can't Always Get What You Want with some real musical royalty. For a start, Mick Jagger's drawling delivery is joined at the two minute mark by Lady Gaga, who begins only by adding accents to the end of each line of the second verse before getting to really shine from the first chorus onwards by giving a much more raw and punchy gospel-style vocal than her typically pop sound. Secondly, Stevie Wonder joins in, adding piano, Fender Rhodes and Moog bass to the song, which wanders off into a free-flowing jam session from about the five-minute mark, where all of the musicians and vocalists really get to showcase each other's talents and ushering in a massive crescendo. Am I becoming a Rolling Stones fan? You too are clearly an easy target for cynical music fans, but they're definitely doing well for themselves. They released their first new single in two years on the 29th of September called Atomic City, which seems to be recalling their earlier post-punk sound with hooks that sound like more grown-up siblings to those used on Sunday Bloody Sunday. The band describes Atomic City as a homage to the magnetic spirit of 70s post-punk with a nod to Blondie, whose pioneering work with Giorgio Moroder inspired and influenced the band. Fresh off the back of their second number one album in a row, Wigan-based indie rockers The Lathams also released a standalone single on the 29th of September called Thoughts of a Child, which is a really upbeat acoustic-driven number. This band don't seem to have a limit on quality songs in their bank, which is really surprising and refreshing for such a young band. They might be a little bit middle of the road for some, but they are certainly extremely talented songwriters. An artist I'd all but forgotten about, Barnes Courtney also released a new single on the 29th of September called Young in America, which is about as Springsteen-esque as a 32-year-old from Buckinghamshire can get, I'd imagine. I really enjoyed his first album, The Attractions of Youth, from 2017, but completely spaced on the 2019 follow-up called 404, and it seems he's released a few singles in the past couple of years. Perhaps a new album will be coming soon, 
if the tracks are as good as this one, it'll be a banger. And now on to the albums from September. Now I knew Electric Six was still a band. I only possessed their debut classic cock rock outing, Fire, from 2003. How is that album 20 years old? However, I didn't know they've basically released an album almost every year, sometimes two, ever since. On the 8th of September, the Detroit band released their 15th, yes, 15th studio album, Turquoise, and it encompasses all the elements that they've included on and off over their career to date. Opening with the chilled lo-fi beats of Take Me To The Sugar, a slow-burning but infectiously catchy number, the track could be setting the scene for a slightly more mellow outing from Electric Six. And, at points, that certainly feels the case. Title track Turquoise musically settles into a relaxed summertime lilt, where warm and clean guitars provide the backdrop for Dick Valentine's peacefully delivered lyrics of paranoia. Staten Island Ass Squad is another low-key groover despite the title, where pulsating basslines harmoniously clash with soaring Mellotron synths. While Electric Six have always dabbled in the laid-back, there's plenty for those who prefer rockier numbers too. In particular, Panic Panic and Dr. K both have fuzzy rock tones, with the latter introducing new wave synths to complement. Whereas Skyrocketing brings some power chord chugging and noodling guitar leads into the fray. Elsewhere on the album, the band stray even further afield stylistically. With Born to be Ridiculed, Valentine leads a country-infused stomp that's part Bruce Springsteen and part Jim Jones Revenue, thanks to its Americana vibes and tinkling pianos. Units of Time goes full throttle into acoustic strumming and slide guitars, giving a casual barstool bluegrass vibe to a litany of time-related puns. The sibling track Widow of Time sounds like frenetic ballroom swing. It's varied for sure, but what unites Electric Six's eclectic mix of musical styles is the constant of Dick Valentine and his nonsensical, non-sequitur-laden lyrics. From casual doomsayer to schmoozing machismo, Valentine reels off ingeniously ridiculous turns of phrase with all the easy charm and charisma of a seasoned pro. It takes a certain kind of craftsman to surmise the last few years of global events, with lines like, To think that we used to live in fear of the atom bomb, now we're ordering our sandwiches from shit.com. <laughs> At 14 tracks and 46 minutes long, it's possible that the album is a bit bloated, and there are certainly some tracks on here that could quite easily have been jettisoned as b-sides. But it was a surprisingly enjoyable dip back into the music of Electric Six, Turquoise is an entertainingly idiosyncratic smorgasbord of music, filled to the brim with mock bravado and knowing winks. Who knew Electric Six was the hardest working band in showbiz? Now we do. Sea of Mirrors is the 11th studio album by Wirral-based psychedelic folk rockers The Coral. I'll be completely open and admit I've not listened to the band's output since their second album in 2003 so I've not kept up to date with them either, despite cranking out albums pretty regularly ever since. Sea of Mirrors is a really delicate album, part psychedelic folk and part spaghetti western soundtrack, which really washes over you with all the tracks bleeding into each other, despite not being mixed into a continuous track. 
This is one of those albums that I'd imagine would sound great, lying on something comfortable while indulging in a bit of the devil's lettuce, while imagining the sunset-soaked horizons towards which you're accompanying the protagonist singing these songs, which is finally revealed to be played by actor Cillian Murphy, who provides a spoken word closing to the final track, Oceans Apart. Released on the same day, the 8th of September, was a vinyl-only release called Holy Joe's Coral Island Medicine Show, which I've not heard but is a companion piece to Sea of Mirrors, featuring the singer and drummer's grandfather as a midnight radio DJ fielding dedications from listeners in the middle of an out-of-season seaside town, which was apparently dreamed up on a similar double album combo in 2021 called Coral Island which came in two parts, Welcome to Coral Island and The Ghost of Coral Island. It seems that in the last two decades, the Coral have massively increased the scope of their music, and more than that, their art. Sea of Mirrors is a beautiful sounding album, and one that you should definitely check out. It's sublime. After releasing four tracks, which seems to be a thing that bands are doing nowadays, Slipknot and Stone Sour frontman Corey Taylor released his second solo album, CMF2, on the 15th of September. A mandolin-led opening track might not be what you'd expect from the lead singer of the two heavy metal bands, but that's what you get here as he asks you to take a breath and enjoy the show. It is, of course, a pull of the rug, as we're then thrown into the new metal pummeling of the five-minute-plus-long second track, post-traumatic blues, which is a bit more of what you might expect, distortion, double pedals and screaming. But this isn't how the rest of the album progresses, it has light and shade. In fact, Corey told Kerrang! magazine that the album is akin to Foo Fighters 2005 double album In Your Honour because of the notable split between the heavy and the lighter songs. And even some of the heavier songs are more rock and roll or classic metal inspired, with twin guitar attack that's reminiscent of bands like Guns N' Roses, Iron Maiden and Cheap Trick. What I would say is that these solo albums are clearly where Taylor is putting all the ideas that couldn't make it into a Slipknot set. The songs veer wildly from the metal headbangers to swinging anthemic country blues, fist-pumping punk rock and back and forth throughout. I really like this album despite its messiness, because it showcases the fact that there's a lot of fun in what Taylor does, even if it's not always obvious in Slipknot and Stone Sour. But the real stars that shine on this album are the twin guitars played by Zac Throne and Christian Martucci. These guys seem to have been told to go mad on the pentatonic scale on almost every track, and it's reaped amazing results on these songs that make them pop. Also on the 15th of September, former guest Rick McMurray's band Ash released Race the Night, the Northern Irish band's eighth studio album, and it's a cracker. Throughout their career, Ash have stuck to a pretty core sound, and have always evolved it rather than ploughing new musical furrows. And so Race the Night is the latest culmination which includes great anthemic choruses, killer melodies, shredding guitar solos, and of course their trademark tender ballads, this time provided on the song Oslo, where Tim Wheeler duets with Dutch singer-songwriter Demira, which harkens back to Shining Light and Candy from the Free All Angels album. But the feel of the album as a whole is more in line with their debut Nuclear Sounds and Meltdown, which is fine with me, 
I love it when Ash go heavy, and if it ain't broke, why fix it? And they go heavy with the track Like A God, which is so good it even gets a reprise to close out the album. I love this band, and it sounds like they're still loving making music after nearly 30 years, which is great. Also on the 15th of September, it was a busy day, the Pretenders released their 12th studio album called Relentless. Chrissy Hines' voice is instantly recognisable whether she's hollering or crooning, and she does both very, very well on Relentless. But her voice shares the front of the mix with the guitar, played by James Walborn, who adds the dramatic musical flourishes that wind around and interplay with Hines' vocals. And this is evident from the off, with the opener losing my sense of taste setting the tone for the album. Walborn's washes of guitar give a palette upon which Hind wonders whether she's suffering from senile dementia or some kind of psychosis. That same interplay informs the song Merry Widow, on which Hind gleefully relates how she's a divorcee, but I feel like a merry merry widow, as Walborn gradually ratchets up the tension before cutting loose in gloriously over-the-top fashion. Elsewhere on the album, A Love and Let the Sun Come In, recall the jangle of the Pretender's early 80s imperial phase. The ballads are equally well executed, most notably the closer, I Think About You Daily, with Radiohead's Johnny Greenwood's hypnotic string arrangement allowing, or perhaps forcing Hind, to drop her trademark swagger and scowling vocal delivery to become more vulnerable, which imbues the song with a powerful sense of regret and vulnerability. It's a masterful album from a band, though really only Hind, that has been putting out quality material for the best part of 45 years, though I wouldn't say it's an essential album. Despite being on a farewell tour with no effects, singer and bassist Fat Mike has also opened the Punk Rock Museum in Las Vegas, formed a new band called Co-Defendants, and launched an underwear line. But the most left field move was yet to come. Again on the 15th of September, Fat Mike released a 10-track album called Fat Mike Gets Strung Out, which features classically reworked versions of songs, ranging from 1992, a version of She's Gone from the album White Trash Two Heaves in a Bean, to this year, a track called I'm a Rat, which was released as a single by the band High Standard earlier this year, and will feature on NoFX's last album when it's released after the band breaks up at the end of their current tour. It's really impressive that these quite raucous and at times breakneck punk songs can be transposed so beautifully for a chamber orchestra. But with the vocals and drums taken away, it really highlights the depth of melody that these tracks encompass. This is a piece of creative genius from a man who's seen and done it all, and is proving he can still surprise four decades into his career. Stick it on during a family dinner or some other formal social situation and see if anyone notices it's a secret punk album. I challenge you. On the 22nd of September, Glaswegian alt-rockers Teenage Fan Club released their 12th studio album, Nothing Lasts Forever, which shows, like Ash, that they're not interested in reinventing their sound with each new release, rather they tweak what has become a winning formula strumming guitar-led songs, high in melodic content, charting their emotional weather. Some of co-frontman Norman Blake's songs on Nothing Lasts Forever directly address the lows he's suffered since his marriage broke up a few years back. 
not least the time-worn but hopeful I Left a Light On, in which he confesses, my life had lost its meaning, I was a lonely soul. It's one of three songs with the word light in the title, possibly a signifier of the brighter mood throughout. For example, in Back to the Light, Blake joyously details the ending of a gig and the sheer wonder of jumping back on the tour bus before motoring off into the night. It's a heartwarming look into the future for a band that's been doing this for over 30 years now. Teenage fan club's Raymond McGinley told Far Out magazine when discussing their mindset during the album's creation, We're trying to look on the positive side of things. We like to enjoy life. It's easy to get angry about everything, but it doesn't really do you any good. Kurt Baker is someone I was supposed to have on the show to talk about his music during the summer, but I was in the middle of a lot of stuff, as I've mentioned before, and I totally messed up my chance by confusing my time zones, which was a real shame because I instantly became a fan of his music, which is a modern take on Elvis Costello and the Attractions and 60s Garage Punk. I hope to catch up with him again someday. Anyway, Kurt released his latest album, Rock and Roll Club, on the 29th of September, and it shows a certain expansion of sound which borders on Oasis-style swaggering rock and roll with a hint of the attractions, augmented by a bit of T-Rex-style glam rock stomping and disco funk. Baker makes fun music to have a good time to, and Rock and Roll Club is no exception. It's really worth a listen, as is his whole back catalogue. And now on to punk royalty. From working with the likes of The Clash and Bob Marley to colliding genres with Big Audio Dynamite, still presenting his own radio show on BBC Six Music, winning a Grammy and receiving an honorary doctorate for his contribution to culture, Don Letts appears to have done it all. Indeed, along with the release of his best-selling autobiography There and Back Again last year and Rebel Dread, a film documenting his life released this year, you'd be forgiven for thinking he had. But there's one thing the 66-year-old polymath hasn't done until now. Don Letts' debut album, Outer Sync, is a heady cocktail of dubbed-out bass-heavy rhythms, island vibes and spoken word juxtaposed with melodic hooks and harmonies. The album is exactly what you'd anticipate a Don Letts project to sound like. Out of Sync, the title track, is also notable as one of a few songs that can introduce such a storied life within a single verse, which goes, Now, because of my duality, raised on pop and bass, didn't really bother me because it's all about the taste. I'm the vinyl generation and that's how I got my start, combining clothes and music and I turned it into art. That's just the introduction. Don goes on to reflect upon the changing world around him and his own shifting perceptions. Featuring 11 mostly self-written tracks produced by dub producer Gaudi after Youth from Killing Joke suggested the pair work together, Outer Sync represents Letts' myriad tastes and interests, as well as his unique worldview. It also features an array of guests including the legendary Terry Hall of The Specials, The Flaming Lips' Wayne Coyne, Lover's Rock Queen Holly Cook, Zoe Devlin Love of Alabama 3, and Don's daughter, Honor, who sings on the sitar-studded electronic groove Civilization. Collectively, it's a snapshot of who Don Letts really is in the here and now. He says, for better or worse, this is me, although I ain't saying I've got it down. 
As the lyrics in the single's chorus readily acknowledges, ultimately, the album's a soundtrack to my mind with some cool bass lines, mirroring the sum total of my cultural journey and reflecting the duality of my existence, which is black and British. It's certainly an eclectic listen. Give it a spin, see what you think of it, and let me know. And now for the next episode. I'm not sure that there will be an episode out in October, mainly because I've spent so long building my office and gigging with my bands that I really haven't had time to get anything done. In fact, I had to postpone a few interviews because of it all, which is not great, but it's a reflection of how little time I've had. But never fear, I'll get those recorded at some point, one with a returning guest, fingers crossed. As I have a dedicated space now that's actually comfortable, rather than the slowly rotting shed I used to occasionally record in when the weather was warm enough, I'm going to get back on it, as well as recording the second half of the Madness documentary, alongside working my ass off and hopefully putting some finishing touches to the new High Frequency album. So I'm going to get on with that right now. Please do get in touch about the music you're listening to, whether you've got differing opinions on the songs and albums I've talked about today, or just for a general chat on all the social media platforms and the email address that's included in the show notes of this episode. So until next time, take good care of yourself, pick someone else up if they fall down, and see you in the pit. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.